Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. Father, we thank you today for your word, and we do pray, God, together that as we open it, that you would open our eyes. We pray that you would open our heart to receive your word. God, I ask that you would give us conviction, that you would also, Lord, give us encouragement today because we need to follow you, and Lord, you're the lifter of our heads. And so we pray for fresh encouragement today. I ask, Lord, for insight, wisdom, and revelation in the knowledge of your will. And God, would you use this time for your glorious purposes in our lives, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said amen. My observations of the text is really just an encouragement to you, but mostly so that we would continue to go to the Word ourselves. I want you to know I'm not a scholar. I don't see myself that way. I'm just a person that reads the Bible, studies the Bible, and I'm just presenting what I have. I believe many of you have have as much or more than what I have, and that's really what we're doing here. As we're looking at the daily Bible reading plan today, we have Psalm 22, 2 Samuel 4. I won't be going over that. We're just looking at Matthew chapter 27. Let me go ahead and bring you up to speed about Matthew chapter 27 because it's always built on the previous chapter as we've learned every time we're together, as you've learned, as you're studying the Word of God. In Matthew 26, you might remember that we were reading about the plot, the underlying plot that the religious leaders had in order to kill Jesus. This is what they were seeking to do, and they successfully did, at least condemned him over to Pontius Pilate, who is the one that executes capital punishment. So this is what's going on. There's a plot that's going on behind the scenes. We're led into that a little bit in Matthew 26. And we also read about where Judas betrays Jesus to the religious leaders for 30 pieces of silver. We read about the last Passover And then, of course, where Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, he takes some of his disciples with him there. He prays where we see a picture into the in these intimate moments of Jesus and the Father. And Jesus, shortly after that, is betrayed by Judas uh, into the hands of the soldiers. He's brought before Caiaphas. He's mocked. He's ridiculed. And then he's basically, as far as they're concerned, he is condemned or accused and he's sent off to be condemned. And now we open Matthew chapter 27. And what we read about in Matthew 27 is this first section is really about Judas. It's about Judas's remorse. He has a a revelation that he has condemned an innocent man to death, and that is Jesus. And so we were going to read about that. Also, we read about how Jesus comes before Pontius Pilate. This is where he's mocked, he's scourged, he's beaten. We read about the crucifixion throughout Matthew chapter 27. We read about when Jesus gives up his spirit, says it is finished. And we also read all the way into the burial of Jesus. Matthew chapter 27, it it starts off where Jesus stands before Pontius Pilate. It goes all the way to the point where he is actually buried. And then Matthew 28 starts out with the resurrection. We will not be able to get to all of that today. And Maybe this is strange for us to focus on what I'm going to focus on, but I want to actually just look at the portion that references Judas and his remorse. And the reason that I want to do that is because you just don't hear about it talked, or you don't hear it talked about very often. So I want to talk about it. 
And we're just going to be landing on the issue of suicide today. And that was what was on my heart as I read the scriptures. And so here's what it says. Matthew chapter 27, we're going to read to verse 10. It says, Now when morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people conferred together against Jesus to put him to death. They bound him, they led him away, and delivered him to Pilate, the governor. Now maybe you don't know this, but all the historical documents that I've ever read about Pontius Pilate, it references him as a cruel man. It really shows him to be this, this cruel governor. He hates Jews. Those are the pictures, the historical pictures of Pontius Pilate. I know sometimes we soften that when we see the stories because of the way he talks to Jesus. It's almost like he's passive or maybe he's uh, not really that interested in accusing Jesus. It doesn't seem like he's the bloodthirsty one. But in reality, Pontius Pilate historically has been a cruel man who hates Jews he actually, there's stories, historical stories of him stealing money from the Jews and also uh, the people that he governs and he builds an aqueduct and there's riots throughout Jerusalem and he sends in his soldiers to kill the, those that are rioting and he kills a large amount of them throughout Jerusalem. This is what he's known for. He, had, he has no, shows no mercy, has no pity on people. And so this is the man that we're talking about who they're sending, uh, they're sending over with accusations. They're sending Jesus to Pontius Pilate, and that's who he is. Verse 3, it says, When Judas, who had betrayed Jesus, saw that he had been condemned, he felt remorse, and he had returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said, What is that to us? See to that yourself. And he threw the pieces of silver into the temple sanctuary and departed, and he went away and he hung himself. And the chief priest took the pieces of silver and said, It is not lawful to put them into the temple treasury since it is the price of blood. They conferred together with the money, bought the potiphar's field, or sorry, the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. For this reason, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then that which was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled, and they took 30 pieces of silver, the price of the one whose price had been set by the sons of Israel, and they gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed. Now, I just want to bring some contextual points to that. Um, number one, Acts chapter one, it sort of references that Judas bought the field. So here we have the religious leaders buying the field or Judas bought the field. What we don't know exactly is the details of that. Most would say that Judas uh, did not buy the field, but it was the money that he betrayed Jesus with that was that was used to purchase the field. So that would seem to be the more accurate representation of what happened. And just so you know, when you read like books of antiquity, not just this is the word of God, but when you read historical documents, sometimes details can be different based on who's the one who the, whoever the one is that wrote it. So right here we have Matthew, the book of Luke and the book of Acts uh, was was written by Luke. And so the details sometimes can be a little different. But it is a fascinating thing to see how similar everything is. That took an act of God. And so what we realize is sometimes when the details are a little bit different, it isn't necessarily a discrepancy. It is just a way that it was being explained. And I know that sounds, for those that are kind of left-brained and they're, they're thinking, well, it has to be exact. It's, it's, there's only one way of seeing it. When people recall an account and they write out a detail, they don't always write it the same way. 
nor is it interpreted exactly the same way of what exactly happened. What we know is the field was purchased. What we know is that Judas hung himself. We know that the field was called a certain thing. We know that 30 pieces of silver, those, all those details are exactly there. But it's amazing how sometimes people will look at a contradiction and they'll say, this was a contradiction in scripture. And most of the contradictions that people have brought to me over the years have been so minor, they overlook the mountain and they look at the little rock at the foot of the mountain. They go, see, that shouldn't be like that. When they don't realize that there are no historical documents outside of scripture that actually reference it in similarity the way that the Bible does, which is the reason why it is so ridiculous to not consider the Bible as the greatest historical document in all of the world. I mean, when you just think about manuscripts, we have over 5,000 copies of manuscripts that that are indicative of the New Testament that are left. We're talking about ancient documents that have been found, that that have been uncovered in archaeology, over 5,000 copies of various aspects of the New Testament. The closest we have is probably Socrates, and it's hundreds. I mean, when, it, when you think about historical ancient documents, the Bible doesn't even come close to anything else. We have, we have some copies of, of manuscripts from Socrates and some of his writings and others. We would see also these Greek philosophers. That's going to be the closest that we have. Maybe we have a couple hundred. Some say there's pieces, maybe up to 800 pieces of various writings from Socrates or Homer or Plato or these, you know, these type of figures in, uh, in history. We just have hundreds, but the Bible has thousands. That is incredible. So anyways, my point is just saying that the more you study the history of the Bible, if you haven't read the book by Neil Lightfoot called How We Got the Bible, please do. Please read Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Joshua McDowell or new evidence that demands a verdict, please read about these types, uh, these, these types of books that reference where the Bible came, came from. What it will do is it will solidify your faith. It will help you understand that this book is not just a book. There is nothing else in all of the world that is like it, period. And that's not my opinion. That is me whenever I study this, whenever I look at the origins of the Bible, all it has ever done is continue to strengthen my faith. And this is something that I'm constantly trying to get other people to read. If you bank your life on scripture, if you teach your children scripture, if you believe scripture, but you don't know where it came from, you don't know how the Bible was formed, how it came together, please read books, read historical books that that give us timelines that help us understand how it came together, the process of it coming together. Once you start to learn that there were 40 different authors, most of which could never confer, they could never, there was no email, there was no mail, there was no, some of these time periods don't overlap, some of them do. You see how this this book, it's the structure of the continuity, the consistency of thought and the weaving of the accounts and how it all works together. There is no way that there is not an architect behind it all, this architect being God. There's no way. There's absolutely no way. 40 different authors, three different languages over a period of 1,500 years. Come on, somebody. I'm preaching today about the Bible. So back to what we're reading today. We're talking about Jesus being accused, and he's being sent over to Pontius Pilate. What happens after that is Judas has remorse. 
Now, there's a difference between um, having remorse that leads to godly sorrow, godly sorrow that leads to repentance. Some remorse leads us to worldly sorrow. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10 talks about the difference. The Apostle Paul told the Corinthian church, there's a difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow can bring regret, it can bring remorse, but it usually leads to a level of medication because it's still focused on self and it's not focused on God. The solution to that sorrow that we feel is that we need someone and something that is more powerful outside of ourselves that can help us to release that guilt. Guilt is very powerful. Now, guilt isn't necessarily a bad thing. If we've done something wrong, we should feel guilty. If you, if you went 100 miles an hour in a 25 and you got pulled over by a police officer and the police officer said, do you know why I pulled you over? Hopefully you say, yes, I was breaking the law and I was, I was going far, be, far beyond the speed limit. You should feel guilty because you did something wrong. If you didn't feel guilty for doing something wrong, that would be negative. However, what we do with the guilt that we have, that is entirely a different thing. And when we're talking about our morality, we're talking about our life, we're talking about decisions, we're talking about really the, what makes up who we are and the decisions that we make. What do you do with the guilt that you have? Look at Judas. He felt remorse. He condemned an innocent man to death for 30 pieces of silver. He sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. And I want to make a couple statements. First of all, yes, when we look at this account of Judas, we know that he's the son of perdition. We know that it was prophesied that he would betray Jesus. We know that the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, that God saw in advance, because God knows all things, he's omniscient, he has foreknowledge, he knew that Judas was going to betray him. God did not coerce Judas to betray Jesus. That did not happen. Judas betrayed Jesus of his own choice. God saw that, knew that in advance. That's what we see in the prophetic writing. That's why it's prophesied, because it's something that was seen in advance, because God knew it in advance. Not that God coerced it. God was the causation of it. I don't believe that. We don't believe that. Foreknowledge and predestination are different things. And we don't want to talk about that today, but it's important for us to recognize that. So although we know that Judas's fate was sealed by his own decision, and it was prophesied about, so we now look back into the Old Testament, there are passages that show us what was going to happen. Jesus, of course, knew that Judah was going to, Judas was going to do this. Judas was still loved by Jesus. And, and we need to hear that. We probably we have to understand we relate more to Judas than we do to Jesus. Every one of us that's reading the word today. If we don't know that, we need to lock that in. You and I relate more to Judas than we do to Jesus. Because we need Jesus in order to remove the Judas in all of us. Come on, that's the truth. Is that we've all betrayed Jesus. Every one of us. You remember Peter betrayed Jesus? He denied him three times. He said, I don't even know the man. Yeah, Judas is the one that maybe gave Jesus up to the soldiers and the Sanhedrin. He may have done that for 30 pieces of silver. He recognized that he was wrong. But every one of his disciples, in one way or another, betrayed Jesus. 
Every one of us, in one way or another, have betrayed Jesus. We have not been 100% loyal. We have not been the model followers and disciples that we ought to be. That, that's not true of any of us right now. We have to recognize that. So when we read this story about Judas, I want us to relate to Judas. I want us to understand Judas outside of this idea that it was prophesied about him. I understand that. I, I've had people say that over the years, like when I've tried to talk about relating to Judas and understanding him and seeing his life as an example that we don't want to follow and that Judas himself at the end of his life recognized what he had done was wrong. Now, what he did with that remorse and that guilt is not something that we want to follow. And isn't it interesting that Matthew chapter 27 opens up with the remorse of Judas, but then it follows the story of Jesus's crucifixion. Listen, this chapter shows us that the apex, the epitome of, of humanity's sin, our egregious sin against God. Here it is. We betrayed what God created us for completely, 100%. That is Genesis 3. That is the fall. God said, don't do this. And we did it. Okay, God continually, don't do this. That's the law. Don't do these things. Why? Because I created you for something else. And here we have at the very end of the of this closing of this chapter where Jesus is going to the cross and he's going to rise again here just, just soon after this, okay? And then humanity has another opportunity to come back into what we were created for. Isn't it interesting that this, this whole section right here, it starts out with what it really looks like for, humani for humanity to betray the one that created them. If you don't relate to Jesus or, that's not in, or to Judas, if that's not in your mind, let me remind you, that's all of us. We've all betrayed Jesus. We've all betrayed God. All have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned. All of us deserve hell. All of us deserve punishment. All of us have walked away. All of us have turned our face from Jesus and from following him. But aren't you thankful for the grace of God? And the rest of this chapter talks about how Jesus, in the face of being betrayed at the very end, goes to the cross. It says, for the joy set before him, Hebrews chapter 12, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. He did that even though He's seeing what Judas did up until this last moment. He's still getting betrayed. He's still looking at humanity in the face. And we're still doing it to him. Continually is what we're doing. Turning from him instead of turning toward him. But Jesus goes to the cross so that we would have the opportunity for which he actually came. So that we could come back into relationship. It's why he had to give his life. And this is a picture of that. When we read about Judas, there's a lot of things to understand. First of all, yes, it was prophesied that he was going to do this, number one. Number two, it says that he felt remorse, and he tried to give back the silver. They wouldn't take the silver. And so he throws the silver into the temple, hoping that would relieve him of his guilt, and it didn't. And you know what he ends up doing? He ends up taking his life. And I don't know if you've thought a lot about suicide, but I think it's something that we need to talk about, because this actually is a picture in Scripture of somebody committing suicide. There are not many pictures in Scripture where somebody takes their own life. There are very few, but this is one of them, and this is a very serious one. And it shows us that when a person has something gnawing at them on the inside, they're trying to relieve themselves. And the throwing the 30 pieces of silver on the, on the 
on the floor, the temple floor, is, is sort of a picture of a person trying to get rid of their guilt. They're trying to rid themselves of that feeling that they have on the inside, but it won't work because there's only one way that we can actually exchange what's on the inside of us where we need something that is more powerful than ourselves. We need something that only God can provide for us to cause that voice, to cause that guilt to be released. Jesus in this chapter pays for our guilt. And Judas, of course, doesn't turn to Jesus in these moments. But here's some questions that we want to ask about suicide today. Number one, I get questions like this all the time. Is suicide... uh, is suicide sort of that condemnation that a person can't come back from? That's what I get asked. You know, if a person commits suicide, can they still be with Jesus? And my answer is, we are saved by grace through faith, which is a gift of God. It's not of ourselves, lest any man should boast. This is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through the rest of the chapter. Salvation comes by faith in Christ. When somebody takes their life, there's, there's a myriad of reasons Number one reason why people take their life, these days at least, is a level of mental illness. Now, mental illness can mean a lot of things. It doesn't just mean that a person is schizophrenic. That's a type of mental illness. But it can be seasonal depression, circumstantial depression, clinical depression. All kinds of things can happen that can cause a recipe of, of this type of depression or even met some type of mental illness. Maybe, maybe they've had it since they were young. Maybe it's something that they acquired circumstantially. It could be brought on by trauma or difficulty, PTSD. There's all kinds of situations, circumstances that can bring a mental illness, just that recipe for a disastrous mindset that people don't want. Nobody wants that for themselves. And so to lack compassion for mental illness and difficulty is just wrong for each one of us. Like we cannot look down on each other. We have to help one another. And the reality is, is that nobody wakes up wanting to suffer and struggle. And so people all over the place are suffering with all kinds of things that maybe we don't understand. But the reality is, is that people in our world are suffering. And the reason that we look to Jesus is because he's offering us something. He's offering us a divine exchange. He gives us peace that passes understanding. We can't give ourselves that peace. There's nothing that we can do sometimes to subside these things. We have to walk with him. Also, he gives us community where we walk with one another. But if you ask me the question, if somebody commits suicide, are they, are they going to go to hell? Well, the question is, is, did they receive Jesus? I mean, this is our salvation doctrine. Is If you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, nobody here can accuse a person who's walking through pain and ends up taking their own life. We have no idea. Now, as far as Judas is concerned, people, scholars debate where he is and all of that, I have no clue. As far as we know, he's not with God. But when it comes to us and many people that have taken their lives, it really just depends on what they had with God before before they did this. And so, no, suicide in and of itself is not that unpardonable sin. Let's be clear about that. I've had people string Bible verses together and send those to me and say, this is like basically this unpardonable sin. No, no, it's not. The unpardonable sin is to wholeheartedly reject the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is to wholeheartedly reject and resist the convicting agent of the Trinity who brings us to Christ. When we reject, when we resist the work of the Holy Spirit to bring us to Jesus, that is to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. 
the blaspheme the work of the Holy Spirit primarily to bring us unto Christ, who is our Savior, who releases us of our sin and our guilt before God, restores us to right relationship with the Father so that we now can have the precious Holy Spirit who makes us alive, born again. And so no, suicide is not blaspheme of the Holy Spirit. And it's like anything else, and none of us know fully why a person takes their own life. And so we need to have compassion. But it's interesting when you read about suicide, and I'm concerned about this, wanted to bring it up because number one, we're reading about it in scripture. Number two, it's a reality of our world today. I continue to read all these statistics about suicide of of which people group is the one committing suicide the most. And it's, it's interesting when you read actual statistics and we talk about different people groups, when you really read it, you would be shocked to know that it's not the younger people that are committing more suicide. It's often the older people. It's often people who are over 65. The percentage is very high. Why do people commit suicide? There's numbers of reasons. Mental illness is probably right at the top, but you have things like chronic pain and illness, and chronic pain and illness can cause us to have a mental state that is just something nobody wants. When people continue to go through chronic pain and illness, they, they come to a place of hopelessness. You know, surgery after surgery, continu- continual pain, consistent pain that doesn't go away, gnaws at us, and we just want it to end. That's the thing, is, is that all of these things cause a hopelessness. And so you also have trauma when somebody loses a person and it just eats away at them. And so here's what I want to say. Um, we also could talk about PTSD, all of our veterans. God bless our veterans, those who have given their lives, those who have, have worked in law enforcement, those that have worked in all different branches of the military, people that have gone through things that we can't even imagine, seen things that we can't imagine. Sometimes they just can't get those pictures out of their mind and it causes trauma, PTSD. There's so many things that lead people to take their lives. And I just I just want to say, we've got to have compassion and we want to have prayer in our hearts. I know I'm getting off topic, but as I was reading this, I just wrote a whole page and a half just about suicide. And what came out of my heart was compassion. And I think it's important that we take a moment in our daily word and we talk about this. We ask God for the compassion that we need for one another, but we also encourage each other. Number one, that God will help us. I know that sounds maybe cliche and people think, well, you don't know what I'm going through. You're right. I don't. But I do know that even in this chapter, what we see is Jesus goes to the cross because he has a heart for those that he created, right? He's the one that wants to bring a divine exchange. He's the one that wants to give us peace. And so we recognize that God does have a solution for our problems. God is the one that can bring a new day into our lives. His mercies are new every morning. We have to know that you and I, our life matters. Our life matters. Everybody's life matters. You may feel like it doesn't. You may feel like your pain, your trauma, the illness that you're walking through, all that you're facing, you may feel like that's gotten you to a place of hopelessness. If you're watching this and you say, Ben, I, I don't, my life doesn't matter. That's a lie. Your life matters. Even if it doesn't look like you wanted it to, you thought it would, it still matters. Even in your pain, your life matters. You and I are useful in the hands of God and we have purpose in this life. And we've just got to remember that disappointment and discouragement, sometimes the reason that we feel hopeless is because our life didn't turn out the way that we thought it should. You know, we made all these plans. We were going down a certain road. 
Sometimes we've lost the job. That also is a reason that people have taken their lives. People have lost the job. People have lost their house. People have lost everything. And loss can bring up these ideas. Well, maybe life's not worth living. And that's a lie. Life is worth living. But maybe we don't have the life that we thought we were going to have. Maybe we don't have the things that we thought we were going to have. But life is more than what we have. It's who we are. And we have that. We have God. And He says to us, you you matter. Your life matters. That we have dignity in Him. Our life is worth the eternal blood of Jesus Christ who gave His life for us. That's the value that God places on each one of our lives. That we were bought with such a high price. Jesus would not have given His life if you and I were not that valuable. And it's very clear that we were. Our life absolutely and com completely matters. The other thing is that we all have pain. I know that we get into these places and spaces where we, we believe that nobody knows what I know, feels what I feel, experiences what I do. And uniquely, no, that's that's we, we don't experience exactly the same thing as one another, but everybody has pain. The rich and the poor, you know, the, the, the veteran and the business owner, everybody experiences pain. Everybody walks through trauma. Everybody has loss. Everybody's going through stuff. And, and who are we to judge the person next to us? We can't judge one another and we can't compare to each other. Maybe we're looking at another person and we're saying, well, look, look at what they have. I wish my life was like them. But maybe they're going through pain and something on the inside is eroding and we have no clue what they're facing. We have no clue how they feel. We have no clue that they betrayed the Son of God. They betrayed their family. And so they've got money and they've got the boat and they've got the cars and they've got all the nice stuff, but on the inside they've got nothing and they feel like throwing in the towel completely and totally on their life. See, we don't know what people are going through, but we do know we all have pain. And that's the truth. And so we have to have compassion for one another and realize we're not alone. We're not alone. Even though people act like it, even though people lack compassion, even though we lack compassion, we know that we're not alone. The third thing is Jesus died for our, our freedom. Someone paid for our pain and he wants to give us freedom. We got to know that. We got to know that there, there is a power that is greater than our pain, right? There is a power that is greater than our pain. If we don't believe that, we can't have hope. There's no way. You can't have hope if there isn't something more powerful, if it, there isn't something greater, if there isn't someone that's seeking to restore us. If that is not our reality, then of course we're going to be hopeless. But it is our reality. It is true. There is someone that paid for our freedom. There is someone that can bring us hope. Even though we lose everything on the outside, we do not have to lose everything what's inside. God can bring hope. God can bring freedom. He can. And part of what we have to do is occupy our minds. We have to think that way. The battle is always going to be in our mind. That's why we talk about mental illness. That's where the enemy is trying to gain access. He wants to bombard our mind with worthlessness, hopelessness, remind us of what we lost, remind us of what we've gone through. All of us have gone through pain. All of us are going to go through pain. Some of us are experiencing things that I can't even imagine. I'm not minimizing any of that. I'm just saying there's still hope. There's still hope. And the enemy wants us to believe there's not. Our circumstances wants to condemn us to a life of isolation and, and fruitlessness. And that is a lie, absolutely and completely. That is a lie. You and I, our life matters. 
We all have pain. Someone died for our freedom. And I want to tell you also, number four, the church is here to help. And I know it always, it, that hasn't been everybody's story. And I'm sorry for that. I, I, I know it, it feels patronizing for me to say I'm sorry, to just issue like a, some kind of blanket statement from the church as if I represent the church entirely. I'm just a pastor and I can tell you I've been hurt in the church and so have you. But the reality, here's why. The church is a place where people come. You know, it's just like you go to Walmart, you know, it's easy to get offended to go to Walmart and you only have to go there for 20 minutes, okay? If you go to Fred Meyers, you can get offended real quickly. I forgot my mask the other day and I had people staring at me like I punched them or, or I stole their candy bar. I mean, they were upset. I forgot my mask, okay? I didn't have one in my back pocket and I wasn't gonna buy another one. I just wanted to get, go in and get something to drink. And there are people that were looking at me and they were upset. I mean, it was easy to get offended inside 20 minutes. If you're gonna spend more time, like i.e. the church, if you're gonna come and spend hours with people, you're gonna get into small group with people, and you're gonna seek to have healing because Jesus heals us and he heals all of us together as a community, you're gonna get offended. I'm gonna get offended. It's gonna happen. And so here's what, what's beautiful about the church. The church is not a group of perfect people. The church is a group of people that have found the source of life. They have found that and they've acknowledged, I can't, but he can. And so yeah, it gets messy when we come together, but the hope is as we come together, we can have healing. As we come together, we can help one another. We are a hospital. And there are various wards of a hospital. There are various departments of a hospital. There's the emergency room. There's the recovery center. There's the birthing center. There's all kinds of wards. There's all kinds of departments in a hospital. And everybody comes in for different reasons. Everybody comes in and, and needs to receive something different. But the hospital contains all of that. And there's hope. A nobody goes to a hospital hoping that nothing happens. We go to the hospital because we're looking for the diagnosis, we're looking for the prognosis. The church, as we come together, the diagnosis comes from the word and the prognosis comes from the word. And guess what happens? You and I gotta walk it out. And when we walk it out, it's messy. We stumble and we fumble and we put these really high expectations on one another. We all do it. And that's why we get let down. That's why we say the church is a bunch of hypocrites. We are. We are a bunch of hypocrites, but Jesus isn't. And he's the one that tells us, I'm growing you from glory to glory, from faith to faith. We are growing together. So it's not about where we are today. It's about where we're going. And that's why I'm not covering over anything. I'm saying, yeah. We make the mistakes. I've apologized to a lot of people, 100%. If you come to church and you expect that your leaders are gonna be perfect, you expect that the people are gonna be perfect, you have an unrealistic expectation. What you should expect is that we can learn how to love together. What you should expect is that your contribution matters just as much as what you're looking for from someone else. And as we understand that, what happens is we can dismantle the lies of the enemy, we can start to heal from the trauma, from the pain, from the difficulty, from the past, no matter where that pain comes from, no matter how it came, no matter how powerful that it really is, we can have healing. That's the hope. That's the hope. And if it's not true, obviously we're gonna throw in the towel. And I'm telling you, there is hope. The church is a hospital. It's a beautiful thing. It's why I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor because I believe that the church is the hope of the world. Jesus committed his power. He committed his word. He, com he committed his mission, his ministry into the hands of the church, and the church is going to move that forward. Christianity is not about us being nice people. We're learning how to be loving and kind and generous and all that, but we screw it up all the time. 
It doesn't give us an excuse, but it means that forgiveness and love matters because we're going to have we need to understand those principles as we walk together. The closer you get to somebody, the more you see, right? You you guys right now, you can't see the stuff that's on my face. I got all kinds of discrepancies, but the closer you get to my face, my wife can see all that. She gets close enough to my face to see all the little fragments, all the little scars, all the little things. The closer you get to somebody, the more wrong you see, okay? But that's the beauty of coming together is the closer we get to each other, we become accountable, but not just to try to make each other better per se, but it's in light of what God does. Together we own this posture before the Lord where he's the healer and together we unite over that principle. God does what we have never been able to do for ourselves and we band together, unite together in that purpose. The last thing I wanted to say when it comes to suicide, and I'm talking about suicidal thoughts that bombard our minds, they wants to take over and cause us to throw in the towel. And we're saying no to that today. We're saying no to that. And I don't know if anybody watching this is struggling with those thoughts. But we know in the pandemic, we know that suicide rates have gone up. Suicide attempts have gone skyrocketed. I mean, I was just reading some this morning. Suicide attempts have skyrocketed. Judas, he did not have godly sorrow. He had worldly sorrow. And so he tried to relieve himself. He throws the 30 pieces of silver into the temple floor. He tries to feel better. He doesn't feel better. He ends up taking his own life. Here's the thing. Sometimes we try to medicate ourselves. People medicate themselves by everything you can think of. Workaholism, sexual immorality. Um, I mean, anything you can think of. It might be minor. It might be major. Substance abuse. That starts to change the way we think. None of that works. All right? None of that makes us feel better. It just doesn't. It's just like trying to get that money. Like he gets that money and he tries to give it back. I'm trying to take that away. No, you can't take it away. You and I have done things that we shouldn't have done. We've had people do things to us that should have never happened. And we, we all have pain. And what we do with that pain matters. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. Occupy your mind. Don't allow those thoughts to overwhelm you. You say, Ben, how do I do that? You, you need, we need help. We need help. First, we come to God and we come to other people. And here's what I'm, I'm telling you. If you need help, we're here to help. You can contact us at Northwest Church. We wanna be a hospital. We wanna be a place where all of us are walking out the healing that we all need. We all need to be healed. We all need help. We all need to walk this out together. And so if you're struggling with suicide, suicidal thoughts, and it's bombarding you, or you're struggling with a hopelessness that you just feel like, man, I just wanna throw in the towel. Maybe you're saying, Ben, I'm not, I don't wanna take my own life but I don't want to live life. So whether that's just, you know, this idea of, of my life doesn't matter, um, or it's just, you're just at a place where you're like, you're ready, you're ready to even go down that road or you're being plagued. I just want you to reach out. I'm asking you to reach out to the Lord. I'm asking you to reach out to the church. I'm asking you to reach out to good and godly friends, people that will pray, people that will walk with you, people that won't patron, patronize you, look down on you, but will be with you. We all need help. We really do, especially in times like these. People are ripping each other apart during the season, and there's a sense of hopelessness. But I want to tell you there's hope. There's great hope. Jesus is in it all. He's walking us through it all. Jesus is able. He has power. He's here to help us. Aren't you grateful for the Savior? Aren't you grateful that this chapter, while it opens up with something incredibly difficult like suicide, but it closes with Jesus willingly allowing us human beings to take his life but he only does that 
because it's in his death and his resurrection that we can have life. And that's what we know. That's why Christianity is so beautiful. It's that somebody did for us what we could never do for ourselves. All the way up until people have struggled with taking their own lives. Taking our own lives, that's not, the, that's not the solution. Jesus willingly gave his life. We took his life. And as a result of that, we can have life. I know it's crazy. He died in our place so that we could be restored back to relationship with the Father. That's what we need. That's what we want. I want to pray into that. And if you know anybody, if it's you, I want to pray for you. But if it's somebody that you know that's struggling with suicidal thoughts, or maybe it's somebody that's struggling with, with some, something that's so difficult that you just feel like they're in a pit and they can't get out of it. I just want to pray over them today that God will touch lives all over this region, all over this nation. The Lord knows what to do even when we, we don't. So let's join in prayer this morning and seek God together. Father, we thank you today for your word. Lord, we just know that as we read it, there every scenario comes up. We struggle today in many ways. We know that, Lord, you're the one that brings solutions. And maybe they're not overnight. Sometimes our deliverance takes time. But I just pray for anybody watching this that's being bombarded with suicidal thoughts, hopelessness, that type of depression that is just plaguing them. I just pray over them right now that you would bring healing into their hearts, healing into their soul, healing into their mind, and wisdom for the days ahead. It's not just the supernatural, it's also the natural. Would you teach us how to take the next steps, who to connect with, who to talk to, what we might need to do, how to occupy our minds so that we don't allow other thoughts to come in? How do we put bars on the windows of our soul? How do we put those locks in that keep bad thoughts out? Would you teach us how to put those locks in so that we would fortify our minds with your grace that nothing could come in. We pray now, Lord, for people around us that are struggling, people that are facing things that we don't understand, difficulty that they're walking through. Lord, for our veterans, police officers, uh, those that are struggling, have been oppressed, have gone through great difficulty, people that have suffered injustice, all of that, everybody in between. We pray that anybody that is facing such difficulty that it's causing their mental state to just go to places that maybe we can't understand. I just pray for them right now, Lord. Would you bring hope? Would you bring healing? Would you speak life? Would you provide way, a way out of maybe where they, they are if they're in a rut and they, do, they just don't know what next step to take? Would you give them your hope? Would you give them your path? Father, we, we just ask for you to bless every person right now that's struggling in our network, in our in sphere of influence. God, would you give us also wisdom and how to help people around us. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.